This morning we continue our sermon series, Swimming Upstream, Christians and Culture, with yet another reading from Paul's letter to the church at Corinth, in which he addresses a whole host of topics, but today's is sexuality. Listen to what Paul says to the church of Corinth and to us, the 1 Corinthians 6, beginning at verse 12. All things are permitted for me, but not all things are beneficial. All things are permitted for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. The body is meant not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Should I therefore take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that whoever is united to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For it is said, the two shall be one flesh. But anyone united to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Shun sexual immorality. Every sin that a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against the body itself. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, which you have from God, and that you are not your own? For you were bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. In Barbara Brown Taylor's book, An Altar in the World, she has a wonderful chapter about the human body. Now, there are lots of books that deal with the human body. There are biology textbooks in high school and in med school, and there are all kinds of diet books, and they talk about the body. But Taylor's an Episcopal priest writing a spirituality. So to have a chapter on the body is scandalous. Christianity does not have a good record of acknowledging our bodies and our sexuality. She tells a story of going to preach one Sunday in an Episcopal church, her own tradition, in rural Alabama. She arrived very early in case she got lost. There was only one other person there, an older woman who was polishing the silver that would be used for communion. And so they exchanged greetings, and then Barb decided to just kind of look around. And she noticed that on the wall was this huge painting, a mural of Jesus' resurrection. He is coming out of the tomb, and except for just this little bitty cloth, he's pretty much naked. And, and Barb admits, you know, admits that she'd never quite seen so much of Jesus' nakedness. <laughs> and the woman, seeing her, admiring it, said, it's lovely, isn't it? And Barb, being Barb, said, yeah, but did you notice he doesn't have any hair under his arms and his chest is smooth as a peach? <laughs> and the woman just froze in horror. I mean, this is church. We don't talk about bodies. But Barb does. In her chapter, she deals with body image, suggesting that maybe some of us should pray naked before a mirror. And she deals with sexuality. I, I mentioned two weeks ago that... There's a letter Paul wrote to the church we don't have. And there's a letter they wrote back that we don't have. But in this one, he references the letter they wrote and the questions they asked. And one of their questions was about sex. In fact, what is a result of that are three chapters on the topic. This is the most extensive treatment of sexuality in the New Testament, which is a pretty amazing kind of thing. Now, 
I realize none of you wrote me this week and said, would you please preach on sex? <laughs> but it's everywhere. You cannot do a newsfeed scroll without some story on the body and sexuality. You can't stand in line in the grocery store with all those magazines and avoid the topic. But it is not just everywhere, it's complicated. Very complicated. Just last week, I heard a podcast as part of Pride Month in which a young trans man was reflecting on that transition. Not the complications of the medical parts or the ethics of it, but it was so fascinating. As a young woman, she and her friends were feminists, and they worked so hard for equal rights and to disabuse this world of this notion that somehow men are superior to women. But when she became he, they said, what's that about? How can you become a man? Do you hear it? The list of issues in our day is so complicated and in Paul's day. In the chapter before the one we read, Paul addresses the issue of a young man who was having relations with his stepmother. He's aghast at that, but the larger issue he raises is that the church had ignored it. They had turned a blind eye, which immediately brings to my mind the Roman Catholic Church and the hierarchy who pretended not to know of the abuse. But also in our own Protestant tradition, the largest Protestant denomination, the Southern Baptists who met this week and who are trying to own up to the fact that they did the same thing. They ignored the clergy who were abusing women and children. At that very same meeting, they voted to kick out churches that ordain women as pastors. That's the chapter before the one we read. In the chapter after the one we read, Paul takes on marriage and sexuality, including singleness. When he addresses marriage and sexuality, there's so many things that could be said, but two of them stand out. And, and, and they're really both kind of shocking. The first one is, Paul goes into great length to say that sometimes when he says something, He's speaking for God, and sometimes he's just giving his view. Let that sink in, because a lot of us grew up in a tradition where we thought, well, the scriptures were dictated. I mean, every word, not according to Paul. And his view on sex and marriage is incredibly egalitarian. A lot of us don't really read Paul as much as we read St. Augustine's read of Paul. Yes, Paul says that wives should not withhold sex so that their husbands not burn with lust. But in the very same breath, he says, and it goes the other way. That's a radical view. Paul has respect for women in the marriage, which brings us to the chapter we read. And I tried to do justice to this, but it's very hard to do it. Even if you were looking at it on the printed page, Remember, Paul received a letter from them. And so sometimes he's quoting them, and sometimes he's responding. When he starts with, all things are lawful for me, it's a quote. This is what the Corinthian slogan was. You can do whatever you want. We can do whatever we want. It's our body. And then Paul responds two times. Well, yeah, but is it 
Is it beneficial? Is it good for the community? And, and what about being mastered? Paul is responding to the slogans of the Corinthians. But the problem with slogans is that they don't capture the complexity. And so Paul, using some of his own slogans, eventually does something that he's even better at. He resorts to a theology of the body. You know, look around. We all have one. And so he does this theology of the body. And what he says is that sexuality and the human body are good. They're gifts from God, but they can be abused. And so what he does is he discounts two kinds of extremes. There's the, the libertines who say, hey, look, I can do whatever I want. And then there was this other group who said, well, sex is dirty and wrong anyway, isn't it? To the first group, and you heard it, he's addressing men who were going to prostitutes. You can't do whatever you want. But even a few verses earlier, which we didn't read, some translations used to say homosexuals will not inherit the kingdom. That is not what that word means. It was a reference to men who were abusing young boys in the Roman bathhouses. What Paul warns the libertines against is non-consensual and abusive sex. To the other group who think it's dirty, which was kind of a form of Gnosticism or dualism, and, and let me just explain briefly, it's really simple. You've probably heard this before. You know, there are good spiritual things in the world, but they're spiritual. The things of this world and the flesh, they're, they're tainted. That's a form of dualism. Here, here's a little quiz I used to give to students in the seminary. See how you do. If I said the Bible is good, well, it's hard to imagine you being against that. You'd probably say, yeah, it's boring, but it's good. Yeah, I, I tried to read it, but it's good, sure. And if I said, and ice cream and sex are good, you'd probably say yes, but maybe in your mind they'd just be a little bit less good on a different level. That's not the theology of the Bible. The theology of the Bible is that the Bible and sex and ice cream, these things are good. I mean, what does, what does the story say in Genesis except that God created this world? And looking at us, humanity said, very good. We're very good. And then Jesus, he was born of a woman. You know, the early church fathers did not want to admit he had a body. Seriously. They said, well, if he walked on the shores of the Sea of Galilee, he wouldn't even make footprints. They weren't comfortable with his body. Then and now, Paul reminds us that you can't just do anything, but the sex, humanity, sexuality, these are good gifts from God. I think of Barbara's book, as a good gift from God. Even the title, An Altar in the World. You hear it? When you hear the word altar, you think, oh, religion. Everybody sit up straight. And when you hear the word world, you think, well, that's the stuff all around us, you know, that we touch and taste and feel. But she's put the two together. She also references a hymn. 
by the British hymn writer Brian Wren. He's so popular that he's in almost every hymnal I know of, probably in every one. But she references a hymn that she said he was brave to write, and to this date, no one has dared put in a hymnal. It's a kind of a reference to the Gospel of John, which begins with, in the beginning was the Word, Jesus, and how the Word became flesh. So he calls it, good is the flesh. Here's how it goes. Good is the flesh that the Word has become. Good is the birthing, the milk in the breast. Good is the feeding, caressing, and rest. Good is the body for knowing the world. Good is the body for knowing the world, sensing the sunlight, the tug of the ground, feeling, perceiving within and around. Good is the body from cradle to grave. Good is the flesh that the word has become. Good is the body from cradle to grave, growing and aging, arousing, impaired, happy in clothing or lovingly bared. Good is the pleasure of God in our flesh. Good is the flesh that the word has become. Good is the pleasure of God in our flesh. Longing in all as in Jesus to dwell. Glad of embracing and tasting and smell. Good is the body for good and for God. Good is the flesh that the word has become. <laughs>